0: We're in a series called Pour Out Your Life, Pour Out Your Life. This is a series uh, based on our theme for 2020 for TLC. Our theme this year is uh, Beyond Us, A Year for Others, a year where we are seeking to live our lives for the sake of somebody else, right? A year where we are hoping and praying that you're not just trying to make a better version of yourself, right? Trying to perfect your own being, but that you would spend a year... Doing what you need to do so that the person next to you can be who they are meant to be, okay? A year where you are helping and walking alongside somebody, okay? A year where you pour out your life into them. And if you follow us through this series, my hope and my prayer, and I really believe it, is if you follow us through this series, what what will come forth from it is a spirit of better leadership. You, You know how to lead as a salt leader, as a small group leader, as a ministry leader, Right, You'll lead better as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife. If you follow us through this series, the, the goal here is that you will come out of it understanding the true wisdom, the true wisdom of what it means to pour out your life unto somebody else. And we've been talking a lot about roles and, and leadership and what it looks like in the church, what it looks like in the home. And so Paul kind of uh, takes this journey that he, he that he's, that he's going through with the uh, Timothy, he writes Timothy this letter as as he's hoping that Timothy is in charge of this church. He writes Timothy this letter and he's like, hey, look, I know what's going on in that church. I know that you guys are struggling with a lot of different things. I want to share with you and show you what does it look like to make a community to flourish, right? When everyone is actually playing their part, when everyone is part of um, doing their part of their journey, the community, the homes, the place around you, it actually flourishes. And so he, he's... He's teaching Timothy so that he would, he's, Paul's pouring his life out into Timothy so that Timothy will pour his life out unto his community, right? And again, the goal is to create flourishing in both places, at your homes and in your church, okay? And so that's our, that's our series, um, and today's uh, message, as we're going to be uh, cracking it open, is really talking about uh, what does this community talk about? What is the pillar of truth for this community, And uh, we're going to talk about godliness and the process of that. So let's bow our heads, let's pray, and um, let's get into this. Father, we we thank you, Lord, for the word that we're about to receive today. Thank you, Lord, for this weather. What a beautiful day. The opportunity to come and to sit and to listen to your word being proclaimed. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for who you are. And I ask, God, that in this day would you give uh, me, worthy as I am, the, the words to speak your truth faithfully powerfully to your people. I pray for your uh, your sons and daughters here, those who call you their Savior and their Lord and their Father, that God, that you would soften their hearts, open their eyes, that they may see your counsel, Lord, and grow in application of it. So, Lord God, would you just be in our midst, speaking, moving, and communicating your truth to us. We thank you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you guys have been here long enough, you know that I am not a big fan of Christmas, right? But there is one part of Christmas that I actually enjoy, and that part is Christmas carols. Not the, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, not, like, Frosty the Snowman carols, but um, carols in in regards to, like, uh, uh, Silent Night, when they speak and sing about, you know, who Jesus is, like, Come Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, right? Right? the, 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 toll, the toll bells, I forgot what the, what the actual title of that song was, right? But there's a lot of these Christmas carols. I love them because what happens as you sing these Christmas carols, what you're doing is you're proclaiming something about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And it's funny because you go down the market and you hear these songs played and you're, and you're, you're walking past somebody and they're humming it and you're wondering to yourself, do they know what they're humming? Because they're humming a story about Christ born by a virgin, Right? You, you, they're they're singing these things almost intrinsically through their life and through the, their upbringing and and you' you can't help but kind of smile a little bit because they 're talking about jesus you know and that 's one of the things I love about Christmas carols and one of the ways in which uh in the scripture which they try to teach uh, more about Christ and his idea of Christ is they do it through poetry they do it through songs right uh, This is a great way to teach anyone like my son he learned how to brush his teeth with um, Elmo, like brush your teeth. Everybody brush. You guys know that song? All teachers, you teachers know what, No, 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 that song. Okay, well, I sang that song for literally like two years of my life. Right, every day, every morning. Right. So, uh, yeah, music has a way of teaching people how to understand their process. And so, in, po- in the scripture, it's like it's it's human uh, wisdom. Uh, it's wisdom that that's been passed down. That even in in scripture, what we see is we see uh, teaching about a very deep doctrine sometimes spoken in poetic form, right, spoken in uh, song form, and this passage we're about to read is like that, where it talks about specifically the deity of Jesus Christ and what's so important about that, and it sings it into a Christmas way. I don't know the song to it. I don't know how the rhythm of it, and, and I'm pretty sure you guys don't want me to sing it, but we'll, we'll see. I want to make sure you guys understand what's, what, what you're about to read. So open your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. 14 to 16. All right, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. All right, listen now. Although I hope to come to you soon, this is Paul speaking to his uh, beloved disciple, Timothy. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions, all the instructions from chapter 1 to 3, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So Paul, in chapter 1 to 3, is trying to teach Timothy, how to teach the people to uh, function within the household of God, within this this place called the community of God, the church of God, the body of God, what it looks like to flourish this community, uh, to restore it back to the created order. So Paul's saying, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond our question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Whenever you see in your Bible, and you can't really see this up there because this isn't really they just show you in one format. But in your Bible, if you have it, most of your font is in the justified alignment, right? Justified meaning like. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not left aligned, not right aligned, not center, but justified, right? So most of it's in justified alignment. But then whenever it gets to poetry part, it's always center alignment. Or when it gets to song part, it's always center alignment. So we know that when Paul here is talking about this mystery of godliness, he's talking about it in terms of a song, a format, a poetry format. And he did that because this is what the church understood about Jesus this is what the church understood this is how they sang about it this is how they talked about it that's how they proclaim it okay so let me walk through with you guys today I'm going to share with you guys if you're going to be a leader if you're going to be a husband a father a mother a wife if you're going to be a salt leader a small group leader a ministry leader one of the things that you have to be able to pour out into the other person is the truth about who Jesus is and the implication of that truth you can't just say, I believe in Jesus, but you have to understand who this Jesus is and the implication of that. So we have six specific points. I know it's six points. Usually I only do three points, right? Uh, they were upset in the youth group because I actually had six points. I was like, what is the extra three points doing? I was like, hey, it's still in the Bible, okay? I can't help it. It's, I just got to do it, all right? So there's six points that's going to indicate who this Jesus is. And our job as we are listening to it or we are learning from it is to understand these six points, be able to process these six points, grasp these six points, be grasped by these six points, and understand the implication of these six specific, wonderful dynamics of Jesus' deity, okay? And so let me, let me walk you through this process one more time as we go through this. Um, this is how I, when I, when I uh, begin my uh, message, this is how I kind of like, I ask questions to myself as I walk through this. So before I get to the six points, I'm going to show you guys how I came to the conclusion or how I came to the, the, the process of it, okay? So verse 15, it says, if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is this place, this, this community, this body, which is the church of the living God. Another way of phrasing this is the living God's church. And so Paul, in the Greek, he's saying this body is the living God's church. This is the living God's body. This is the living God's community. This is the living God's family. This is the living, bods, uh, living God's body, right? This place belongs to the living God. That if you are here, you are in a place where angels fear to tread. Living God's church. As opposed to false gods. As opposed to idols. As opposed to different places of worship. Here in this community, you belong to the living God's family. And in the living God's family, check this out. It is the pillar And foundation of the truth. So in this living God's family, in this living God's church, in this living God's body, it holds one truth. It is the pillar. It holds together. It lays the foundation. It stands on one specific truth. The truth. Right? And the question is, what is the truth? What truth is he talking about? What is the truth? And it goes on to verse 16. Beyond our question, this truth is beyond our question, no doubt. We've been talking about it. We've been singing about it. We, we praise about it. We've preached about it. This truth that belongs to the living God's people, this truth that belongs to the living God's community, this truth is the mystery of godliness. And again, another weird phrasing, right? Mystery. What does mystery mean? Mystery means usually something that is hidden then gets what? Revealed. In the, Old, in the New Testament, everything that's a mystery, the way they phrase the word mystery is always something that's hidden, now revealed. So something is revealed. Godliness is revealed. What does it mean to be? What, is, what does godliness mean? Is it about character? Is it about what you do? Godliness. What does godliness mean? It's godlikeness. Deity revealed. Deity uh, informed. Deity coming together, right? Godlikeness here. So uh, deity revealed. So what Paul is saying in the living God's house, in the living God's family, we hold one truth. The living God's family rides and dies on one truth. It is the pillar of this truth. And what is this truth? He calls it the mystery of godliness. And what does this mystery mean? It is the revelation of godlikeness, the revelation of deity, the revelation of God. Revealed. And so this mystery of godliness is not a what, it's a who. So the living God's church holds and rides and dies off of one pillar of truth, and this pillar of truth is the revelation of godliness. And so we hold on to the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. It is the truth of Jesus in which the living God's church lives and dies on you guys get me you guys get the process right this is what paul is saying if you belong to this living god's family if you are called his if you are his people then you are the protector you are the holder you are the foundation of one truth that we all proclaim without question without doubt without dispute this truth is the revelation of jesus you guys get me And so now he's going to jump into the question and say, okay, well, let me give you the six revelations of Jesus that we all know. Let me give you the six revelations of who Jesus is in this uh, truth that we hold. The great statements of Jesus' deity. The great truth of Jesus' reality. And we're going to go through six specific truths. Now, why is it important? Every time I go through one truth, I'm going to ask you guys to ask me a question. And the question I want you guys to ask me is, so what? Okay? I'm going to say something. And you're probably going to forget all of what I said. But after I say it, I'm going to say And then my people say, so what? Okay? Because that's the most important. It's it's not the most important, but it is part of the reason why, you know, we understand this truth. If we don't understand, so what's the point of it, then it's useless. Okay? So my job today is I'm going to go through these six statements. I'm going to explain them, try to explain them. And then I'm going to say to you, ask me the question. Ask me the question that you want to ask. And you will say, so what? And then my job would be to try to show you what's so important about this. You guys follow me? All right. All right. Check this out. The first great statement of Jesus. If you're going to be a leader, a father, a teacher, a mother, a wife, a husband, uh, uh, a small group leader, ministry leader, you have to be able to understand this truth of Jesus Christ. It has to be. If you, if you, if you call yourself a family of the living God's body, you got to know who Jesus is. And the first great statement about Jesus, check this out, is that he appeared in body. Another way of saying it, revealed in flesh. He appeared in the body. He revealed himself in flesh. It means very simply God being divine, being uh, majestic, being glorious, being outside the reality of our physical understanding. This God who is spirit became human. He became human form. He took on the form of a man. He was born to the womb of a woman. He was raised nursing, walking, crawling, doing the very things that humans do, stepping upon this plane called earth in this reality, this 3D reality which we exist in. The one thing you have to understand about Jesus is that he is divine become flesh. He is God made flesh he is appeared in a body that's important now the question I want my people to ask is what so what right so what if Jesus came right and he's God he became a man so what if he lived a perfect life as a man so what if we call him like you know this outward being now he's showed up here so what let me share with you guys uh, I watched this movie called uh oh my I just I just lost it. I just do a Biden. It's uh, it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Would you be, would you be my neighbor? Would you be my neighbor? Tom Hanks' movie, right? Would you be my neighbor? Okay. I, I actually really liked that movie. Would you be my neighbor? First, because I really like Mr. Rogers. I grew up listening, watching Mr. Rogers. I adore that that dude, right? And so I, when I was watching this movie. And after I watched it, movie, it was based upon an article by this guy who wrote for Esquire magazine. So the, this article that was written like in 19-something, 1990s, it wrote about Mr. Rogers, and they made a movie based upon that article, right? And as I was going through that article, one of the things that, was, that he was talking about was like these optometrists, and my, my wife loved this story, these optometrists, they They wanted to know how to deal with children because Mr. Rogers had this amazing, unique, specific way in how he interacted with children that got them to kind of lay down their guard, their fears, and just really just respond well, right? He's able to explain very difficult concepts like divorce, wars, hate, anger in in a way that children can understand and grasp, you know? And so these ophthalmologists who recognize that kids don't like going to the doctor's office and getting all these checkups, he's like, Mr. Rogers, can you come and help us? Speak and help us to understand how can we uh, engage with these children. And so his, uh, his, his, I think his assistant, she wrote up this whole entire thing of what she thought Mr. Rogers would say. This whole passage about how he would respond and kind of explain to these ophthalmologists or these optometrists how to speak to children. And, as, and then after she was finished writing it, she gave it to uh, Fred Rogers and he was reading it and he crossed the whole thing out. He crossed every single thing out. And he just started the, the conversation again. He says... First step, remember that you were once children too. Remember that you were a kid too. Remember that you lived in a world where you were surrounded by people you didn't understand, things that you did not know, mysteries. You were surrounded by fears and doubts, questions that you now, you know, have a better revelation and understanding about. But once you were a kid too, and once you were scared also, and once when someone's trying to a light into your eye, you had no idea what was happening, Right? There was a time when you were a kid. And so when you begin to understand their position, where they're coming from, then you can begin to understand how to help them. You guys get me? Now, what does this got to do with Jesus becoming flesh? We are like children. Scared of the dark. Scared of the mystery. Scared of the emotional tor- turmoils that we go through, the ups and downs of life. And so how does God come into our story and work with us? Does he kind of speak from on high? Some great, loud, booming voice saying, do this, you're fine, get up. No, what does he do? He became one of us. He became one of us. He experienced the exact same thing we experienced. He went through the exact same ups and downs that we feel so that we would know in the midst of our depression, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our brokenness, There is somebody who actually understands us. What is so special and important about Jesus Christ becoming flesh? He is not far from you. God is not distant from you. I know that that's one of the the, the narratives that we try to speak now into the 21st century that God is distant, He's far, He doesn't understand me. You guys ever have that feeling? You feel like you're not understood? And you hate that feeling because you're thinking, like, if they would just understand me, everything would work out well. If they would just understand me, everything would just be, it would just make sense. And that's how you feel towards your parents sometimes, right? If they would just understand me, then my life would be so much easier. And yet, body made flesh, Jesus made flesh tells us what? There is someone who knows exactly how you are feeling, he knows the temptation of the sins that you are constantly fighting with. He knows the broken relationship that you go through. He knows the idea of being excluded. He knows the idea of being abandoned. He knows the idea of, being, um, have, of having so much on your plate that you don't know what to do and you're stressed out beyond your mind and you feel like you cannot move. He knows those things. And if he has walked through them, he can walk you through them. Right? If you understand that Jesus was made flesh, you have this ability. You have one ability that no one else in this world has. You have, no, you have, you have the ability that somebody, no one else in this world, unless they're called people of the living God's church, you have one ability that no one else has. You know what that ability is? The ability to stand in the midst of trials and suffering. Where do people turn to? When they face trials and suffering, sometimes they lose themselves. Sometimes they go, turn to a bottle. Sometimes they turn to pills. Sometimes they turn to sex. Sometimes they turn to a lot of different things. But we who understand that God made flesh, we understand one specific thing. God is not far from me. He understands that he, he, We may not understand why we're going through specifically, the specific detail that we're going through. But one thing must be true. It cannot be because he doesn't love us. It cannot be because he doesn't understand us. It cannot be because he's far from us because the scripture says what? He became one of us. And if he walked that way through and he died and he came back from the dead, he's telling us something. I can get you through it. You can get out of your depression. You can get out of your rut. You can get out of your pain. You can move forward from this. It might take a while. It might be difficult. But I became flesh. To let you know it's possible. You guys follow me? Right? That's a beautiful story, man. That if you would remember, your God became like one of you. Right? Second thing. I'm going to try to go a little bit faster. Apparently last message they said I dragged it on too long. I had like a, so we're going to go through the six points. Verse second one It's vindicated by the spirit. Right? The six great statements about Jesus' deity. Six great statements that you need to know if you're going to be a leader to pass on, to, to, to pour out into someone's life, to show them the revelation, the reality of life. It's one, you have to understand that God was made flesh. Secondly, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated by Spirit, made right by the Spirit, right? Um, the Jews thought Jesus was a heretic. Let's kill him. The Romans said he was a wannabe king. Let's kill him. Who is this guy going around talking nonsense? Who is this guy proclaiming to be king? He's nobody. He's nothing. And then they killed him. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, brought him back from the dead. And when the Holy Spirit brought him back from the dead, it pretty much told them both of you guys were wrong. You Jews who call me a heretic, you are definitely wrong. Because what I said is not heresy. What I said is power. You Romans who call me a wannabe king, you foolish Romans. I have a kingdom that you can't even possibly imagine, a kingdom that will outlast you. The Holy Spirit vindicated who Jesus, posi- his position, his position, his worth, his value, and his authority. Holy Spirit that brought him back from the dead gave that. Now why? So my question for my people is what? So what? So what he came back from the dead, right? So what he came back from the dead? What's so special about that? Okay, what does that got to do with my life? So what? Okay? Jesus was completely different from anybody else on this world. Jesus coming back from the dead says this. If he is truly who he says he is, that means that everything he talked about on this earth, about humanity, about your position, about your future glory, about your past, everything he said about you is vindicated. It's true. If he says... There is no such thing as a lost cause. He means that. If he says that there is a vision, a purpose for your life, something you were made for, those who belong to my church, those who belong to my family, I don't just call them my children and give them no purpose. Every one of you guys has a purpose in your life. So I know, I say that because I know a lot of us you think your purpose specifically comes down to a very remote equation. Go to school, graduate, get a job, hopefully a career, make six figures or high five figures, right? <laughs> get married. Pop out a few kids, go on a few vacations, retire, go on a couple more vacations, watch your kids grow up, play with your grandkids and die. That seems like the equation, which is not so bad. It doesn't sound like too bad, right? It doesn't sound too bad. But God, in his storyline for you, says this, I have a purpose for you that you were made for that you were born for, that you were created for. I have called you in to call you out. What I have accomplished, I can do through you. He vindicated through the Spirit. Why is it so important that the, the, the Spirit vindicated him? It means that if we would have the courage, church, to trust him when it comes to this word, if we would have the courage to say, I'm not going to neglect my community and my church and show up and do something here, He's going to do something through you. If we have the courage to look at this Bible and say, you know what, Lord, even before PT message and say something or try to persuade me or try to convict me or try to inspire me through this word, I will come before my service here. Before 1245 hits, I will sit, 145, <laughs> what in the world? Right? Before the service starts, I will be, I would say to myself, whatever your words say, I will obey. Because if you truly came back from the dead, then your word is words that give life. Then if you speak about the beauty of the institution of marriage, I'm going to honor that institution. If we talk about the beauty and the wonders of sex, I'm going to honor that. If we talk about the beauty and institution of children, not institution of children, but the beauty of children and honoring of children, I'm going to love children. Right. Um, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in the Bible that says children are a gift from God, right? I'm not going to lie to you. Practice confession. Every one of my children that was born, okay? I didn't feel very loving towards either one of them, like, for a while. Like, you know, I just felt like it's just I have to raise you because it's my job, <laughs> if I don't, you die, so I have to do something, right, I, I'll tell you the truth, right, with Seth, it took six months, it took six months for me to feel like, this is my kid, this is actually my boy, right, I knew that because this is what happened, I would walk past his room, I stopped, I walked into his bedroom, I you was know, doing his little movie sleeping, I bent down, and I actually kissed him, I said, you, you're kind of cute, right, <laughs> you're my son, right. Yeah, with that one, okay, well, not that, no. with, with Enoch, it took a year and a half, okay? Oh, no, I, was, I, was, I was, it took a year and a half. I mean, everyone, y'all, y'all keep saying, he's so cute. I'm like, yeah, he's all right. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, right? You know, and I remember, but this past week, it was hilarious. I walked past his room, and I walked in, and I was, I, I bend down, and I, was, I kissed him, and I was like, yeah, you're my son, right? I kind of like you. You are a blessing to me. <laughs> I do see it, you know? I do see it. But they didn't come, and I, I don't know if I'm speaking for all the fathers, right? But it's, it's probably just me, right? <laughs> right? It's probably for me. <laughs> right? Like, Evan's like, you freaking heretic, you know? you know? Oh, man, but like, but here's the thing. Like, I could have been like any dude and just kind of walked out on my kids, right? Like so many fathers we have in this world walk out on their children. They're not blessing. They're just a burden. I could have been one of those guys that kind of disappeared on their kids being like, you're just a weight upon my wallet, right? You're just a, a burden to my happiness. You're, 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 you're the mountain that prevents me from actually enjoying my life. I could have done that. But if God is vindicated, if Jesus is vindicated by the spirit, came back from the dead, and the word says, children are a blessing, why don't you just stick it out? <laughs> stick it out, Tony. Right, I can hear God just saying, just stick it out, man. It's going to come, right? Some people, like maybe with Evan, it came a lot earlier. Praise the Lord, right? With me, it took a year and a half for that boy, right? But in the end of it, it's true. I can proclaim it. I can testify to it. Children are a blessing. And I will fight for the life of every kid, right? And I, would, and I say that in this beauty of saying, if ever you feel like you cannot raise your kid, okay, and you feel like that, that kid may be a burden, We'll adopt them. We'll figure it out. I mean, is she here? Right? We'll (laughs) we'll figure it out. Right? We'll, We'll do it. Because children are a blessing. They are. More than you know. It might take a while to figure it out. But if you trust, it's truth. God was vindicated by the spirit when he raised Jesus Christ back up from the dead. Which means that everything spoken in here has a value of truth. If you would hold on to it, if you trust it, it will bring flourishing to your life beyond what you can imagine. Six great statements of Jesus for Jesus' deity. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a father, mother, husband, wife, any type of leader. The six great statements that we talk about. is One, Jesus became flesh. Two, he was vindicated by the spirit. The resurrection means something. And thirdly, he was beheld by the angels. Seen by the angels. Can I tell you what that means? The angels, okay? Angels are beings of pure holiness. They don't understand mercy, right? The only way you can understand mercy is if you screwed up, right? If you are in brokenness, you understand mercy. Angels are not broken, except for the fallen ones, right? But the, 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 the good ones, right? They're not, they're, they are, they, are they, they look at the idea of mercy. And they're like, what is going on? They look at the idea of grace like, what is that? They look at the idea of redemption like, what is that? The only way that you can experience those those things like mercy, redemption, things like um, uh, grace, right, is that you have to be in a state of brokenness. And so angels did not understand that whatsoever. And so can you imagine Jesus Christ, their Lord, their God, stepping down to humanity, their God in whom they Proclaim and they know like this is the most unbelievable, impossible created creator in this whole entire reality. He is our God. The angels who cry out to God, holy, holy, is the Lord God Almighty, whose whose wings cover their face, uh, their eyes, whose wings cover their feet, because they're so um, astounded by God's perfection. These angels saw Jesus and beheld what He did, and you know what they said? Worthy is the Lamb. Why? Because Jesus showed them something that they have never even shown, seen before, that they thought they'd seen everything about God, everything that they possibly know, and yet then he shows them this picture of redemption. He showed them the idea of grace. He shows them the power of mercy. He shows them something that they they're just baffled by, like, I have never even could possibly imagine anything more from you, God, and yet now you are showing me something even greater. What I thought was impossible, you have even made possible. What you took as evil, what I saw as just the opposite of who you are, you turned it into something wonderful. The angels beheld God. And they were amazed by it. They were stunned by it. They could not even comprehend it. And all the angels, they worship him for it. And my people ask, so what? So what are the angels like Jesus, right? So all the angels kind of like, ooh, Jesus Christ, wow, right? So what if they beheld Jesus? What does that gotta do with anything? Let me tell you something. It tells you one thing very beautiful. If the angels can see the impossible becoming possible, if the angels themselves, holy and perfect being, can come to a place where they are experiencing the impossible to possible. You know what that says to you? That in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, impossibility can be made possible. What you deem as impossible for your life to overcome, to fight through, the idea of forgiveness and reconciliation is possible. The idea of overcoming a brokenness and a sin is possible. Let me tell you a story. I, there's, a, there's a testimony about this, uh, this pastor preacher. Right? Did ministry for five years. All right? Preached. Did the whole works. All the while, sex addict. All the while, solicited prostitute while doing ministry. All the while, addicted to pornography, hiding it from his congregation, hiding it from his church, hiding it from his from his wife, right, from his children. He will tell a testimony of how right before a prayer meeting, he will be down the street soliciting a prostitute for twenty dollars before he comes to pray, right. So caught up in that darkness that he thought to himself, I cannot be free from this. The man that I am who preached and proclaimed God's goodness, God can't possibly forgive me. God can't possibly use me. If this ever comes to light, I'm done. My ministry is over. My marriage is over. Everything about me is utterly destroyed and be nothing. There came a day when his wife found something that wasn't his. And she pieced all the pieces together. And what she found out was this man whom she married for 15 years, living this sexually craved life while preaching the grace and mercy and holiness of God. And he thought, that's it. My life was over. Death is the only thing that is suitable or worthy for me at this moment. And in that moment, what happened? What happened was this. He just said, I'm just going to bring it all into the light. I'm a nobody. I am completely lost. My marriage has been broken. My ministry is done. I'm just going to bring it to light. And then he began to confess. He began to bring it all forward. Right? And as he brought it forward, all of a sudden we see the stories of men within the church start coming forward too. <laughs> And they thought, if my pastor, this preacher, this guy went through this, let me tell you my story. And one by one, men in the church begin to bring themselves into the light, begin to become honest for the first time in their walk, not hiding behind closed doors, not hiding behind a screen, but becoming honest for the first time. And his wife, after 20 years, says, you know what, the man that you are today, I will do the first 10 years again. So that I can have this past next 10 years, right? Marriage restored. What he thought was impossible in the hands of a God that molds and shapes, that directs and creates stories, becomes possible. Man, we, I mean, if you guys been here long enough, you guys heard the testimony of Evan and his father, the reconciliation of forgiveness. What he thought was impossible became something beautiful, Because that's what God does. As the angels beheld this impossibility of God becoming flesh, reconciling, showing mercy and grace and forgiveness and and, um, redemption. This is impossible. How? It tells us what? God takes the impossibility of your life and you can make it possible. That brokenness that you think it cannot be fixed, would you put it into the hand of God and behold his glory? That journey that you think cannot be surmounted, that sin that you cannot think cannot be broken, would you place it in the hands of your God and let him show you the possibilities? That's what it means. You belong to a God who takes, whose M.O. is to take brokenness and turn it into beauty. You belong to a God who takes his people's brokenness and turns it into glory. To such a degree where the angels, when they see that process, they worship it because they think, How unbelievable is this? Worthy is the Lamb. The six great statements about Jesus' deity He became flesh, He was vindicated by the Spirit, beheld by the angels next one was preached among the nations. He was proclaimed among the nations. Who Jesus is, he was proclaimed among the nations that the disciples, after knowing and seeing and seeing the resurrected God, they realized something, nothing is ever going to be the same again. Nothing is ever going to be the way it was. Everything has changed. Everything has been flipped upside down. If he can come back from the dead, if he's vindicated by the spirit in such a way, nothing can be the same. And so they went out. They gave their lives. They proclaimed the gospel, all right, and they followed after him to the day they die, right? and even to, to this day, the gospel was proclaimed. 2,000 years, no matter how many obstacles came, to, came through to try to place a hold on the message of God, a message of Jesus Christ, it did not stop. Even today in our Western mindset of civilization where we're thinking, you know, what science and reason dictates the information, we see not a A a decrease in religious movement, but an increase in it all around the world. We see an increase in the belief of Jesus Christ everywhere in China, South America, Africa. We are seeing the movement of God growing, not decreasing. He is proclaimed among the nation as they gave their lives for this message. And your question for you and you, sorry, my people's question is: so what? So what if he's proclaimed? So what if he is constantly known? So what if his message is known in China, South America, in Africa, in America? What, so what? It means this. It means that if you had a legacy of Christianity in your life, the heritage of that faith, and you decide for a moment, I'm just going to throw it away. I'm just going to, you know, walk away from it. I'm just going to be whatever towards it. I'm just going to be wishy-washy about it. Let me tell you something. You belong to a heritage and a legacy that has lasted 2,000 years and counting. A legacy and a heritage that has not faltered but is growing in power. For a generation that's all about FOMO, you really want to miss out on that? You really want to miss out on, the gener- on, 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 on being that generation that is going to continue the legacy of power, reconciliation, forgiveness, and restoration to the world? You can sit on the sidelines. You can do that. Or you can be a part of transforming the things around you. You can be a part of proclaiming the gospel. And you ask me, how do I proclaim the gospel? Let me tell you. Those of you guys who are aspiring to be doctors and in the, med- in the medical field and whatever, all right? Can I tell you, your work is not about the money. I know you guys are going to make a lot. and You're going to owe a lot too, right? You know? It's not just about going to the hospitals here, guys, and just go, doing the business and getting that paycheck and, you know, trying to live a comfortable life. That's not, that's not what this story is about. You know what this is, this is telling you? This is what, what this is saying? That in that field, you have this ability to proclaim a message that can change the world. You know what that message is? you were not meant to be broken when jesus came to this earth what he taught was he healed people because to show them this is not how i made you to be my healing of you is a glimpse of what you were always meant to be whole and you're in the medical field and you're bringing healing to people you know what you're doing for them man you are giving them a taste of heaven you're giving them a glimpse of what heaven is supposed to be like you are not meant to die from cancer. You are not meant to suffer leukemia. You are not meant to lose your limbs. You are not meant to have this at all. Let me help you so that you can have a glimpse of the glory in the heaven of my God. You proclaim this message for 2000. It does not end. It will not end. And it will do it without, with or without you. And my, 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 my thing for you is this. If this is a journey, if this is a movement, if this is a... Is a power of God working in generations after generations after generations. Why would you miss out on that? Why would you miss out on that journey, on that prospect, on that purpose, on that vision for your life? Some of you guys are teachers. Majority of you guys. A lot of you guys are teachers. And you're thinking, what am I going to preach, PT, right, to a bunch of kindergartners like my son, right? What am I going to do for them? Do you not understand? That the belief of the gospel starts where first? In the mind. That's why you have the helmet of salvation, thank God, right? Someone reads the Bible. Or, anyways, helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation because salvation starts here in the mind. It starts here with the forming of the character, the forming of the thinking process. Where you guys have been taught to think a certain way and then be sidetracked from that. Teachers, you have the ability to restore the thinking process of a generation so that when they come into grasp of this word, what you have laid down as a foundation for their minds and their ABCs turns into the foundation of salvation. Man, isn't that beautiful? I think that's beautiful, right? And yet you want to miss out on that? To... Get a Roth IRA and retire at the age of 50? The next statement. How am I doing? You guys doing all right? You're still with me? Okay. Was believed on in the world. The six statements of Jesus He appeared in a body, body made flesh, revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was beheld by the angels. He was preached among the nation. And he was believed in the world, right? He was believed in the world. The first dude that preached the gospel, the first dude that preached the gospel was the kind of guy that had no filter in his life. He was the kind of guy that put his foot in his mouth all the time. He was the kind of guy that, sh- that comes up to you, to, comes up to a young lady, and without thinking about like, how she would feel or what she would think, he's like, yeah, you look pretty ugly today, right? Did something go wrong? And you're like, everyone's like, uh, that's not what you say, man. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, put a filter on that. He is that guy. This guy, Peter, was that man. He had no filter in his life. And what did he do? When he proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ... When he knew it well enough to proclaim the message of Jesus, the Bible says 3,000 came to faith that day. What are we saying? right? What are we saying here? My people ask the question So what? So what if he proclaimed the So what if he's, if he's an idiot, he preached the gospel, and people came to believe? It means this a lot of you guys, you guys don't think that you guys can preach the gospel or even share the gospel. I don't know enough. I don't have enough information in my life, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. If you would understand this and if you would have the courage to share it, the Bible says you would take part in bringing dead men to life. You would take part in the story of restoration. Because when the Bible is proclaimed, when, the, when, the, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed and believed on in the world, Lives change. People change. Jesus was believed on in this world. The Bible was preached, the gospel was proclaimed, and people came to faith. Not everyone, not everyone, but if you would preach it, you would be the vessel of life to somebody. Do you realize that? When's the last time you actually changed a life, right? And yet God has given you this unbelievable message that if you would have the courage to speak it to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, if you have the courage to proclaim it, he says, people will believe. No, they can't believe. We live in a very messed up generation, PT. We are like a bunch of woke people, SJWs. They don't really care about this stuff. They really care about the ah, right? No. If you proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, his story of restoration, his wanting to redeem Eden, his desire to make equal what is broken, you're not going to get divisiveness. You're going to get what? Life. If you would have the courage for that, to proclaim the message among the nations. Okay? And lastly, all of this, by the way, is what, you know, seminarians, right, we call Christology right, which is the study of Christ. If you, uh, if anything with ology in it is a study, right? If I do biology, a study of life. If I did like, uh, uh, what other ology do we have? Like psychology, study of psych, right? And we do, uh, and we so Christology is the study of Christ, right? And so this right here, it's, it's this journey that I'm taking you guys on, it's pretty much a study of Christ. What, we, what you guys get in one hour, it, it takes like, one whole semester for me to go through, okay? So the fact that you guys got condensed into one hour, you're welcome. Don't complain about the one hour, my Lord, okay? And so here it is, the last of it, the last of the six qualities, the last of the six statements about Jesus' deity, the mystery of godliness, the, the revelation of God-likeness, the revelation of deity revealed, the sixth statement is this, he was taken up in glory, all right? He was taken up in glory. It means that, his trajectory the bible says that when he didn't finish his work the bible said he saw we saw christ sitting at the right hand of god he wasn't standing at the right hand of god he wasn't chilling just standing there feeling. he was sitting down at the right hand of god because his work is complete it is done You, you guys realize that his work is done what does that mean that means that you are complete that means that once you begin to know him, I'm not going to ask you so what, okay? This is what, this is what it means, okay? Once you begin to know him, the work is done. You will see glory. That's it. If it wasn't done, Jesus would still be standing. He'd be like, right, I still got some work to do with so-and-so, right? I still got to fix them up somehow. But the moment we come to know him... The moment we step on this journey to be part of the living God's church, the moment when we understand who Jesus is and the implication of that in our lives, the moment we're grasped by that and we surrender in faith and say, God, if this is true, then everything about me, everything that I am, I lay it down at your feet. You take hold of it. You use it. You do whatever you want. Every aspect of my life, I surrender to you. That's faith. And when we have that, Jesus sits down and he says, it's done. It's done. It's done. There is only one conclusion for you, glory. There is only one outcome for you, glory. There is only one destination for you, glory. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't feel like I'm moving towards glory. Hey, I'm just a mailman. I don't write this stuff, right? It tells me you're in glory. You're in glory, right? But you got to believe that. You got to believe that that is your destination. That is where you're going. That is where you will get to. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ in glory. Because he was the first of it, and if he has got there, it means that we are followers of him, we're getting there. It don't matter how messed up you think your life is, it doesn't matter how broken you think your life is, the moment you have said, Jesus Christ, this is my life, I give it unto you, he says, it's done. Glory is where you're going. Glory is your destination. Glory is your legacy. So my prayer, church, that you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, who he is, that you proclaim it, that you live it, that you know it, right, that you don't falter from it. Come and give your life to the one who gave his life for you. Let's pray.